Well, uh, a number of years ago, my wife Amber and I planned a, a family trip to San Diego. Our son Josiah was about a year at the time, and we thought this would be a, a great trip for our family. It had been a, a tiring year discovering what it means to be new parents, and so we thought a relaxing trip to San Diego, that's going to be just what we need. And there was a lot to look forward to on this trip. Josiah was really into airplanes, and so we thought the plane ride would be fun and exciting for him. He was really into stuffed animals and these little animal figurines at the time, and so we thought SeaWorld and the zoo are going to be amazing highlights for him. And Amber and I were looking forward to just relaxing on the beach and taking in hours of the sun. A lot to look forward to on this trip. But the trip was a complete disaster. Josiah cried on the plane, making a, a terrible, embarrassing spectacle for Amber and I. He fell asleep at both SeaWorld and the zoo, missing almost all of it. And he was scared of the sand, and so he didn't want to be anywhere near the beach. And so we didn't spend uh, hardly ever uh, amount of time at the beach. And to make things worse, in the evenings at the hotel room at, at night, he kept both of us awake. And we found ourselves at the end of this trip more tired than when we first left. It was a terrible and disappointing vacation. Not because anything bad had happened on the trip, but because it didn't meet our expectations of how we thought the trip should go. In our minds, we had pictured this really relaxing and, and beautiful trip, and the trip fell short of that. It was a disappointing experience. Now, a trip that doesn't live up to the, the hype is one experience of disappointment, and it's a, a valid one. But on the other end of the disappointment spectrum are those things that just shake you in life, where your expectations, not about a trip, but about your life, just seem to never go according to plan. Where no matter how hard you work, how hard you strive, how much of yourself you give, your deepest longings, your desires, and your dreams are never materialized. Whether it's a desire for a particular career that you've been chasing for so many years, whether it's uh, the desire of a particular relationship that you've longed for and hoped for, or maybe it's even an experience with God that you've seen others have and you've longed for for yourself. As you think about your life, have you ever found yourself on the spectrum of disappointment? And while there, asking God the question, God, where are you in all of this? Well, today we're going to be looking at a story of a man named Elijah, someone who is deeply familiar with disappointment. And to use his story as a bit of a, a case study to figure out how we can navigate the very real disappointments that we face every single day. Elijah was a, a messenger of God in the ancient world, and he was wildly successful in his work. People were responding, and God was using his life in a powerful way. But by the time we pick up the story of his life in, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, Elijah is on the run for his life. A terrible king at the time, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, feel outdone and, and um, uh, overshadowed by Elijah and his God. And in an act of retaliation and revenge, they want Elijah's life. And so Elijah does only what he knows how to do is just run for dear life. He runs into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He climbs up a mountain, finds an empty cave, bunkers down, curls up in a ball, and just waits for things to change. Wait for things to change. And while he's alone in this cave, he starts thinking about his life and how things have radically changed. He went from successful prophet to a man hiding in a cave. And there alone in the cave, wondering where God is, he has this experience. First, Corinthians, or First Kings 19, beginning of verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. 
What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great, great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Well, today we're continuing our sermon series that we've entitled Frail Faith, where each week we're exploring some of the things that can make our faith fragile, weak, or maybe even non-existent. Whether it's things like doubt, apathy, or fear, some of the things that make us question God or question the, the faith that we've maybe had for a long time. And today we're going to be exploring the, the frailty of disappointment and how disappointment in life can be one of the things that makes our trust in God just weak and unsure at different times. And to use Elijah's life as a bit of a case study to navigate and understand disappointment. And we'll do this through two different movements. The first is to just name the, the real honest pain around disappointment. And secondly, to see how God meets Elijah and potentially meets us in our disappointment. But let's start with that first movement of the, the pain of disappointment. Now, the dictionary defines disappointment as sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. Or as one author puts it, disappointment is the action of your brain readjusting itself to the reality after discovering that things are not the way you thought they were. Now, if you're here today, you don't need a, a dictionary to tell you what disappointment is. It's not something you know, but it's something you, you feel. And I'm sure all of us can look, over, look back over the course of our lives and can resonate with that feeling of disappointment, where life just didn't go according to plan. And when you come to a story like Elijah's in the Old Testament, and it can feel like a story that's far, far away, distant in the past, and it can feel like a story that has nothing to do with our lives here today. But the thread of disappointment is what joins and connects our story with Elijah's story. As I mentioned, Elijah was this wildly successful prophet. People were responding, and he had seen God show up in powerful ways. He had seen God perform miracles, and, and people were, lives were being changed, and communities were being transformed. And now, as a result of, of leading into this life that God had called him into, he was now being hunted down and pursued. King Ahab and Jezebel were after him, trying to take his life. And at this point in his story, he starts to face some real opposition. Things are going well, things are going smooth, but now this opposition makes his journey of life a lot more bumpy, a lot more questionable. He starts to wonder where God is in all of it. He thought he was following the, the plan God had for him, but now he was unsure. And as he's running through the wilderness with his eyes probably looking over his shoulder, he's likely wondering, God, where are you? You said you would be with me, but I don't feel it at all. And Elijah is probably hoping for another miracle of God, that if God could just show up and wipe out all of his enemies and perform some large extravagant sign, then he would be okay. But when God appears to be silent, it grows and it nurtures Elijah's disappointment. 
And he finds himself deeply, deeply alone. Similarly, like Elijah, we often look at our lives and think that if, if God could just change one thing or if one particular area of our life worked out, then life would be better. Whether, if it was, whether it's things at work, complicated family dynamics, or a skill that we long for, we often dream and think that if God could change one aspect of our life or help us overcome one barrier, then things would change. And when God doesn't respond in the way that we, we hope he would, disappointment starts to set in. And it, could start, it can begin to make us question the very faith that we have in our maker. And I remember moving back to Vancouver after studying at university. And when I came back to Vancouver, I came back with a, a great deal of excitement and enthusiasm because I had grown this, had, had developed this passion of, of working with, with teenagers and young people. I developed this passion that I felt like God had put in me to, to serve young people wherever I could. And I was excited about all the possible jobs I would have back here in Vancouver. I thought about maybe working at UGM or the Boys and Girls Club and was excited to make a, a practical difference in people's lives. But that enthusiasm and that optimism slowly began to fade each and every week, where over the course of eight months of unemployment, I found myself just questioning myself and questioning God. Over that eight-month period, I probably sent out over 50 resumes and cover letters, didn't get a, a single interview, let alone a single reply back. It was deflating. And that deflation started to make me, question, started to make me want to question God. I began to say, God, I felt like this desire was from you, but now I'm not so sure. God, are you aware of what's happening in my life? God, are you there? As you think about your story in your life, what does disappointment look like for you? Where have you felt disappointed? Maybe it's a desire to, to be married and to have children, but for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened yet. Maybe you have this longing to, to live debt-free one day, but it's a, a dream that feels forever out of reach. Where is it that you feel disappointment? And maybe in that feeling of disappointment, you can resonate with Elijah, who in verse 4, in coming to the end of himself, verse 4 says that Elijah crawls under a bush, he sits down, and he prays that he might die. And he says, Lord, I've had enough. I've had enough. I don't know about you, but this is something that I've said constantly throughout my journey of faith, where I look at my life and my circumstances and I look at God and I say, God, I'm, I'm done. I have nothing else to give and, and I've had enough. I don't see how my situation or my circumstances are going to change at all and I am done. But if the story were to, and if the story were to end there, be quite discouraging. If our stories and Elijah's were to end with this declaration of God, I've had enough, it would be deflating and hope wouldn't be there. But thankfully for us, God gives us the scriptures to, to point us towards not the actions of individuals, but to point us to the actions of God. And in Elijah's disappointment, we see God meeting him and responding in a way that might sound rather strange or it might sound a bit unusual but it's a transforming experience for Elijah. And so let's look at this second movement of what does it look like to meet God in disappointment. God tells Elijah to, to go out on the mountain. 
He says, if you go out into the mountainside, I will come and I will pass by. I will make my presence known to you. And so Elijah dutifully goes out to the mountain and he waits and he probably has a sense of excitement starting to build in him. He's about to encounter the God of the universe. And as he starts to experience these these large hurricane-like winds, the storm that's starting to build, he thinks this must be it. This is God showing up loud and strong. But the scriptures say that God is not in the wind. And then his feet begin to tremble as an earthquake just shakes the earth. And he thinks, this is it. God is, God is coming. God is going to make himself known. But the scriptures say that God is not in the earthquake. And then a raging forest fire surrounds Elijah. And he thinks, surely this is God making himself known to me. But the scriptures say that God is not in the fire. And at this point, Elijah's disappointment is probably growing He's already at the, end of his, at the end of himself, and now God has said, come outside, and I'll, I'll reveal myself to you. And once again, God, in his mind, is letting him down. You can almost feel the frustration starting to build and grow in Elijah. But then we get to verse 12, which reads, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah's response here, this this act of of hiding his face is something that you see people in the scriptures do when they encounter the living God face to face. And it indicates that God is in the whisper. That God isn't in the loud and the extravagant, but God is in the quiet. He's in the ordinary. And this phrase, gentle whisper, it doesn't, the English translation doesn't do justice to the original Hebrew, which could better be translated as a sheer, uh, as, as a moment a sound of silence, a brief sound of silence. That God is not in the, the earthquake, he's not in the fire, he's not in the wind, but it's in the silence, in the quiet, that he presents himself to Elijah. When Elijah's at the end of himself, when his faith is frail, God's response is to give himself. And this is the great hope for all of us who find ourselves in a similar place like Elijah, who find ourselves at the end of ourselves, finding our faith weak, frail, and fragile, God offers himself. But as I read this story, I can't help but wonder, what is God doing with this, this show? Why, all the, why the performance of the earthquake, the wind, and the, and the fire? What purpose does that her serve in Elijah's story if he's just going to show up in the quiet of the silence? But if I put myself in Elijah's shoes, I think God is showing his power, his strength, and his capabilities as a way to, to get Elijah's attention to say, I'm the one who controls the universe. I'm the one who's holding your very life and everything around you in the palm of my hands. I am capable of holding all things. And after he shows his power and displays how, how he's working in the world, it's then that he makes himself present to Elijah. Accompanied with a God that showcases his power is a God who desires to meet us where we're at in an intimate and personal way. When it comes to relating to Elijah and to us, he approaches us with gentleness, tenderness, and quiet. I think Elijah's story has been preserved for us in the scriptures so that in our different spaces of discouragement or disappointment, when we find ourselves asking the question, God, where are you? we might hear God replying to us and saying, I'm in the silence. I'm in the ordinary. I'm in the everyday moments of life. 
And could it be that in the, most, in, the t- in the times when we feel as if God is not there, that he is most present? And when we feel like God is most absent, that he is most present. You know, there's a familiar poem that's been quite impactful for my life, and it's called Footprints in the Sand. Some of you may be familiar with it. And it's this poem that describes a person who's reflecting back on the, their journey of a life with God. And as they look back on their life with God, they imagine God and, and them walking along a, a sandy beach. And they see two sets of footprints in the sand, one set being theirs and one set being God's. And as they observe their, their life with God, they look back and they see moments in this journey where there's only one set of footprints. And they, out of frustration and out of deep anguish, they recognize that these single set of footprints happen when, at, when they are at their lowest, darkest, and moment, um, moments in their life when they're at their, their, the end of themselves. And in frustration, they say to God, God, you said that once I followed you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there were only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, that you'd leave me. And God whispers back, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. It was then that I carried you. It seems to me that in these moments of coming to the end of ourselves is when God makes himself more alive and more present. And so could it be that when our faith is frail, when we're met with disappointment, that it's in those moments that God is most alive and most present. Now, I recognize that we're not Elijah, and we're not standing on a mountaintop having these amazing encounters with the the living God. But we can make space to encounter the, the same quiet, the same silence, the same presence of God today in the same way that Elijah did. In a number of weeks ago, our family went camping in the Okanagan, and one of my favorite parts of that trip was just taking in the night sky. Here in the city, you can see stars at night, but it's nothing like getting away from the city. You see the stars and the the brightness of the sky from a whole other lens. There's something about stripping away the the bright city lights that make the the stars illuminate all the much more. A writer named Ann Dillard shares that if you want to look at the stars, you will find that darkness is required. The stars neither require it nor demand it. In the same way, our lives are full of all sorts of things, all sorts of uh, things that try and pull at our our attention and distract us in life. And it's only in the dark, lonely, and disappointing moments of life where the the light of God tends to shine brighter and clearer for us to see. And so with that in mind, let me offer maybe two things for us to to consider as we think about navigating the the different disappointments in our life. Two things that might be practical steps for us to, to consider as we think about disappointment. Here's the first. Can you name disappointment. As you think about your own life, can you name your disappointment? In verse 10, we read, uh, we read about Elijah talking to God, and he says this. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected me. They've torn down your, your altars. They've put your prophets to death, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah doesn't hide what he's going through, but he, instead he honestly names it before God. He's open about what he's feeling. And here we see one of the the most important components of a life of faith is honesty before God. To honestly name the places of our life that hurt, the places of our our life where we feel like we're we're missing out on everything that God has for us, or the places in our life where we feel God is most absent. Can you name your disappointment to God? That's the first suggestion. 
Author Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment with God, says this. He says, you can say anything to God. Throw at him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. In this respect, the Bible prefigures a tenet of modern psychology. You can't really deny your feelings or make them disappear, so you might as well express them. As you consider your faith journey, can you name your disappointment to God? And here's the, the second invitation for us as we think about Elijah's story and our own disappointment. is to ask the question, where have we experienced or encountered God in the past? Where have you encountered God in the past? In verse 8, we learn that Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. Another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Mount Sinai is where God gives the, the law to Moses. It's this place of great significance where God reveals himself and communicates to his people in power and in a way that had never been seen before. And Elijah, whether intentionally or intentionally, finds, or whether intentionally or unintentionally, finds himself at the same mountain where God has spoken and worked in the past. As you think about your journey of faith, where, has you, where have you encountered God in the past? Maybe in the, the quiet morning of, of prayer, in the company of a trusted friend. Wherever it is, can you go back to that place as a way to try and prepare yourself and open up yourself for another encounter with the living God and whatever disappointment you hold? And if you're here and you're exploring faith or you've never had a, an encounter with God, then maybe the invitation for you is to try and find space this week to simply be silent. Or over the next seven days, you can find a, a minute in your day to simply be still, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and for a minute, just to simply say to God, God, I'm here. I'm here. As a way to make yourself present to the, the God who longs to reveal himself in your life. Where have you encountered God in the past? And can you name the places of disappointment in your story? At the end of this great encounter that Elijah has with God and God revealing himself in the silence, you think that Elijah would have this great awakening, that he would come to his senses and, and, and respond with great gratitude and, and thanksgiving for God's work and presence in his life. But he doesn't. Elijah misses God completely. And instead, he goes on to continue to complain about the same things that he's been complaining about all along. And this way, I wonder if Elijah's response to God is a bit of a, a caution for us. That in our disappointment, we can miss out on so many of the wonderful things that God longs to do in our life. That disappointment can, can cloud where God is at work and what he's doing in our lives. Let me close with this story. Vanita Rizzer is, a, is an author who shared quite openly about her own experience of disappointment and faith. She describes her life as, as going quite smoothly for the most part. She went to college, she worked and went to grad school where she met her, her future husband. She had a fulfilling career and two beautiful daughters. And by her own admission, she said that she was deservedly enjoying the perfect Christian life. But somewhere along the line, things began to unravel. It started with the, the death of her infant son, which was followed by a debilitating pain led to a, a post-polio syndrome, which kept her in a wheelchair and gave her limited use of her limbs. After that, her husband left her and left her and moved away, leaving her to care for her two daughters on her own. And somehow, in all of this tragedy and all of this disappointment that Vanita has experienced, she's found God in all of it. 
She writes, God has carried me through the darkest of days and given me hope in the pouring rain. The one who holds the universe holds me tenderly. He has taught me that joy and gratitude are choices and they are independent of circumstances. And then she says this, God wants me to find him sufficient in the midst of trouble rather than just demanding that he deliver me from it. God wants me to find him sufficient in the midst of trouble rather than just demanding that he deliver me from it. You know, the greatest gift that God wants to offer each and every one of us is, is you know, it, it includes uh, peace and patience and joy and, and a life of fulfillment and, and thriving in different ways and all the things we hear about in the scripture. God desires those things for us. But the greatest gift that God desires to give each and every one of us is the gift of himself. God desires to, to offer himself fully to us. And the, the cross of Christ is a picture of a God who says, I will stop at nothing to show my people that I want to be with them. I will stop at nothing to be involved in my, people, in my, in my children's lives. We play witness to the, the, the cross as a sign of God's great care, love, and affection for us, his children. The priest Richard Roy said, all great spirituality is about what we do with our pain. The gospel gives human suffering deep personal and cosmic meaning by connecting our pain to the pain of others and finally by connecting us to the very pain of God. As we consider the cross and as, in a few moments as we consider coming to the communion table, I wonder if we might see our disappointment through a, a different lens. I don't know what it is that you're walking through or what you're, you've entered this place with and what disappointment looks like in your story. But I know that there is a God who longs to offer himself fully to you. And I wonder as we prepare our hearts to come to this meal to receive the bread and the drink, if we might in the quietness of ourselves say to, say to God, God, you're enough. My life is far from perfect. In fact, my life is a mess. I'm barely hanging on to my faith in you. I don't know how to make sense of all the things that are going on in my life. But in this moment, in the here and now, I declare that you are enough. And to allow this meal to be the, the thing that in this moment holds us together. That is, we declare the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and second coming of Jesus Christ, that it would be enough for us today to wait until he comes to make all things new, all things right. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are people who long to see you at work. We are people who are filled with so much disappointment, so much anguish, so much grief, so much loss. Yet in all of that, you still offer yourself to us. We pray, Lord, in the silence of this moment that we would tune our hearts to the, the work of the cross. That we would fix our eyes on the God who says, I am with you.